Ladies and gentlemen, after five rounds, we go to the judges' scorecards for decision. All three judges score this contest. 48-46 for the winner by unanimous decision and new interim USC middleweight champion of the world, Israel, the last bender, How does it feel and how does it look? Well, I always envision these things, but I never, I was ready for war. I told y'all. I wanted to take him out, but I was ready for war because he's Mexicano. Hold on, there. give it up for Kelvin. Let's go. People, they talk, man. Has he been tested? He ain't ready for this. I started this fight with adversity. And like a champion, like you say, be the, the hero in your own story. By the end of my documentary, this bit's gonna be lit. What's going on, guys? Your boy Elroy here, and welcome back to the Your Boy Elroy MMA Podcast. I am Josh Prep Egina, and I'm here with my good buddy, Andre Rodriguez. Andre, what's up, man? What's up, bro? Hell of a week in fights. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. But we will get to that. There is a little bit of news. Last week, we talked about the UFC having their seasonal press conference. Uh, they had it on Friday, right before the weigh-ins. And a couple things came out of it that I actually uh, wanted to talk to you about. So, number one, I there's one fight I want to see more than anything coming out of that, and that's Anthony Smith versus Luke Rockhold. Yeah. Did you see the heat, how pissed Anthony Smith got when somebody brought up Luke Rockhold? Yeah, it, it was interesting because... It almost seems like this animosity just stems from the fact that he doesn't like the kind of confidence that Luke Luke Rockhold has. Because, honestly, let, let's be real. Aside from Luke Rockhold being knocked out by Michael Bisping and Yoel Romero, he's had some really good dominant victories against a lot of the best of the best in the middleweight division. So I give him credit in that aspect. But, um... You know, he, he's rolling with the big dogs now. Because Anthony Smith, yes, he had a really bad performance against John Jones. But this dude is, you know, at the top of the heap for a reason. So, I, I think that um, along with this animosity brings a very interesting fight that I hope will take place sometime maybe in the next three to six months. Yeah, it's very similar to what we spoke about when they had the UFC London press conference where I left that press conference wanting to see Darren Till versus Leon Edwards. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad that Jorge Masvidal versus Darren Till happened. But the fight that I wanted to see was Darren Till versus Leon Edwards after that press conference. Yeah. So another thing that came out of that was we finally got Ben Askren on the mic again. Oh, yeah. And... uh how do you feel about this matchup, especially after hearing Jorge Masvidal on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast? Is this something, like, do you expect much from this fight? No, because it's going to go one or two ways. Um, either Masvidal is going to win by stunning knockout, or Ben Askren's just going to do what he always does. And the good thing about this fight is that a new number one contender will be 
you know, risen from this, will be picked up. But um, the only downside I would say to this fight is that no one's really excited about it. Um, respect to both fighters, of course, because they're both elite in the welterweight division. But, you know, when you're fighting a guy like Ben Askren and you really only have to focus on getting taken down, I mean, it kind of just nullifies everything else in the fight. So I don't really expect much from this fight other than, you know, a stunning knockout, like I said, or just a grinded out five-round, you know, decision for Ben Askren. Yeah, we'll we'll really cover this fight in depth in June before the fight actually happens. But to you, what's the better outcome? Is it Jorge Masvidal, you know, stunning Ben Askren or Ben Askren just riding this wave of momentum? I think the crazy part is that I'm torn between both because I've been a Jorge Masvidal fan ever since his backyard street fights. Um, you know, when he was fighting for uh, Kimbo Slice. But I've also been a fan of Ben Askren ever since he's been in Bellator, where he was dominating in the tournament excuse me, and then won the title eventually. And it sucks because when you really look at where their careers have gone and the trajectory that they've taken, I think both guys deserve a title shot. But, you know, in this case, whoever gets it first, I think that's who gets the title shot. We'll see with that. Um, I don't. I think the better outcome is Jorge Masvidal stunning him because it just makes a new star. Like Ben Askren already has his star. He can talk his way back in. And even though I do believe in Jorge Masvidal's, you know, promo skills, Ben Askren is just on such another level. Even though I do think that he misused his time in the cage, his last victory per se, when he said, hey Dana, is that all you got? And I didn't think that that was like a good thing to like come out on your first victory. Yeah, I mean it shows the kind of cockiness that isn't needed because it reminds me of uh, Kamaru Usman when he had fought Emil Meek and he had beat him. He just grinded out a victory. He didn't do anything because... Let's face it, Emil Meek is very dangerous. Uh, he's a very dangerous striker. And, um, you know, Kamar just did what he had to do. And then he said, that was me at 30%. Imagine me at 100%. And that really rubbed not only Dana White the wrong way, but a lot of us fans as well. Because we're just like, you at 30%. What are you trying to say? That, that you're that much higher a level than everyone else? Because that's ridiculous. But it's stuff like that that, you know, fighters have to be careful with. Yeah, another thing that came out of that press conference, so John Jones was not there due to illness, um, but Tiago Santos was there, Yeah, and he didn't have much to say, and I do have this question for you. What, what did you think about Tiago Santos getting this title shot? Because he's dangerous, but he can't sell a fight. I... I believe that, you know, in American markets, when these Brazilian fighters, you know, are in the main events and, you know, headlining cards, I think that they do take a step back if they don't know English. Yeah, and and it's the language barrier has kind of always been a problem, mainly because you've, and it sucks because I understand that, you know, some fans just feel like they can't relate, you know. 
Because not everybody's a mega star like Henan Barrow of his time and Jose Aldo or Fabricio Verdum, guys like that, or Anderson Silva. You know, not everybody can just hold so much um, star power that they don't really need English. So I, I think it sucks because John Jones definitely would have helped in that aspect. But I think that, you know, I just like Tiago's attitude that he's just there to fight. He'll fight anybody. And, you know, I think he earned his title shot. So I'm hoping that that will sell the fight enough. Yeah, I mean, not everybody's like a fan like us. Like, because I think that this fight is great for Tiago, especially if he could get in. You know, I think he can knock John's lights out. But I just feel like that it's lacking that, like, personality that, you know, top UFC main events kind of need. You know, we talked about it last last week with the question from Angie how, you know, the... The UFC, like, yes, you know, it should be about the martial arts, but the fights don't sell themselves anymore. Yeah, and... Oh, excuse me. It, it's it's hard, because, like, for me, I, I'm not going to lie, aside from just being a pure martial artist at heart, I do enjoy a good press conference, because it's, it's signs of what's yet to come. And, you know, I know... What Tiago is bringing to the table. I know what he's capable of doing. But, you know, not everybody knows him. Because the most stardom that he's had is this tear that he's been on at 205. Same thing as Anthony Smith. And they try to promote him as such. You know, the guy who got that spark in a new division. But, um, I'm just, I'm really hoping that this fight will be much different from Anthony Smith. I hope that Tiago Santos brings his A-game. Yeah, we also had Henry Cejudo and Marlon Marais on the stage. Something that you said to me prior to me hitting the record button was the trash talk was lame. Yeah. Now, I enjoyed Marlon Marais. I made fun of him, you know, before for his (laughs) voice. You know, he's the new Anderson Silva. (laughs) But... Dude, I really think that he is going to destroy Cejudo. Oh, it's going to be fast, too. I take nothing away from Cejudo. You know, I just really, I laugh at his confidence. Because, let's face it, bro. You're an Olympic gold medalist. If you didn't know. Yeah, just in case you didn't know. Just in case you didn't know. But I did a little bit of research on that. And there weren't really any, like, serious competitors in that weight division. And and mind you, they were all the best of the best. But those guys, they weren't on the level of, you know, who Jordan Burroughs has to face. They weren't Ben Askren level, like that kind of wrestler. He, he went in there at 21 years old, bust his ass, and he earned the gold medal. But even now, you fought TJ Dillashaw and you caught him. You haven't really proved yourself to be as good as you say you are. And... Uh, Unfortunately, you're running into probably the most dangerous guy at 135. Because not only can he put your lights out with a variety of technique, technique, excuse me, he also has a very decent ground game too. So I'm just, it's going to be crazy. But I know this is going to be a first round knockout. Yeah. And the last thing I want to talk about is Holly Holm and Amanda Nunez on the same stage for the first time. Dude, I love Amanda Nunez, and I always talk about how much I love Holly Holm. Holly Holm, 
I don't know if it's the divorce, but Holly Holm looks like a new woman. Yeah. I, I mean, I know that she's going to come into this fight with a new focus because she's been talking about it in interviews about how she's just revamped and she's ready to, you know, get back what's rightfully hers, you know, which what she believes. And um, when you look at Amanda Nunes, her skills, her arsenal, um, I think that one of the only people who can probably match her um, as far as a real fight, who can really bring it to her, is Holly Holm. Because Holly Holm is a tough matchup for anybody. And not only is she a super high-level striker, but now she's showing flashes that her wrestling is really getting up there. Um, we saw it when she faced Megan Anderson. Megan Anderson was a tough matchup for anybody. Six foot one with like a 73-inch arm, arm reach. And, and that's not easy because Holly Holm's not that big. But she took her down. And she fought a smart fight. And that was the best thing that, that anybody could have ever asked for. And I think she's going to come into that to this fight with Amanda Nunes thinking the same thing. So I know that this fight's going to be one of the biggest fights of this year. And I'm excited to see it. Yeah. The final news bit I want to touch on. Something that you brought to my attention. Conor McGregor turned down Justin Gaethje. Allegedly. This is according to Justin Gaethje's manager, so we could take it with a grain of salt. But I want to see that fight. But do you think that there's anything to gain in that fight actually happening? In this case, um, I would say yes. And the reason I say yes is because Justin Gaethje right now is still adamant on proving that that upper echelon... The Tony Ferguson's, the um, you know, I'm not gonna say Kevin Lee, forget that guy, but the Tony. Well, Ferguson's, he's 170 now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, <laughs> but you know the Tony Ferguson's, um, obviously the Conor McGregor, sorry, and um, all these other guys, the Champ, uh, Dustin Poirier, the Max Holloways. He wants to prove that he's literally up there with them, and he just dispatched one of the dangerous, most dangerous strikers in the lightweight division. So. Or in the UFC. Yeah, in the UFC in general. And, and you know, it's crazy because Gaethje, he's starting to look like he's really elite. And when you look at before, how he was killing guys in World Series of Fighting, and then he started off slow a couple times, he he's just looking different. And it's crazy because you look at his fights, what he did to James Vick. You look at what he did to Edson. And it's like... It's almost as if he believes in his one-punch knockout power now. Because before, he would just grind guys out with strikes, and he would just beat them up in general. And, and they would they really wouldn't be able to answer. But now, it's like he knows that if he hits you once, it's lights out. And that's a scary thing, because he reminds me of a, a, you know, a young Johnny Hendricks. Because when Johnny Hendricks came in, he knocked one guy out cold, and he was like... I'm going to keep this train rolling. And he started putting people out. I'm talking John Fitch, Martin Campman. I mean, he was putting guys out cold. So I'm just excited to see what he does against somebody of the caliber of Conor McGregor. Because Conor McGregor, aside from his incredible striking ability, um, you know, his, his touch of death left hand. But, you know, he's got solid head movement. He's got a good chin. Mm-hmm. So I know that that fight for sure will be a war. Yeah, that's something I want to see. You also said that allegedly Conor McGregor turned down Tony Ferguson. Um, 
did they ask Tony Ferguson if he wanted this fight? Because that's kind of the person you have to ask. I believe that they asked Tony Ferguson um, if he wanted to fight Connor, and um, he said he was good with it. He he wanted to do it, and of course, you know, because this is a fight that's been looming for a couple years now. He's been one of the only ones to really call out Connor. You know, he's the one twice who... in a row the same promo after the last two fights. Yeah. Hey McNuggets, you piece of whatever. I'm going to kick your effing ass. Yeah. <laughs> the same promo the last two fights. Yeah, and even before it was like defender vacate. Mm-hmm. You know, that was his that was his banner. Mother effer. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not forget that. <laughs> But, you know, I, I think that, that any fight with Connor is always a good fight for the other guy now. Because right now, like you said, there, there's really not a lot of upside for Connor. Because he really has to work his way back up in the ranks. But he's just, you know, so adamant on only fighting in main events, getting a certain amount of money, which is dumb because his money's already been set with the fact that he signed a six fight contract for, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of dough. So. I don't know what he's waiting for. Um, he should just get a get a fight signed already and 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 fight a contender. Yeah, it's uh, you know Dana White said that he has a meeting scheduled with Connor to talk about you know his next fight. So I guess we'll see in the next coming weeks. You know, I did say that we will not talk about Connor till he has the next fight, but. You know, these are rumors that we kind of have to cover, especially a Justin Gaethje Conor McGregor fight rumor. Oof. That's a super main event right there. Yeah, there that can't be. You know, title or not, I don't care. That, that has, has to be a pay per view. Has to be main and, event. Yeah, it has to be a pay per view main event. Not because of the fact that it's Conor, but it's because of the, the the profile, the high profile fight that it is. I mean. When you got two guys that are that are like that, who who really bring it every fight, I mean, that's a fight you have to make a main event. I mean, it was the same thing when Diaz fought Conor. I mean, let's be real, man. Those were literally some of the best non-championship bout main events of all time. There are never going to be anything else like that. Well, Andre, before we get into the UFC 236 review, there is a card this weekend, you know. We always want to at least talk about one of the fights. So, the main event for this weekend, UFC St. Petersburg, or Fight Night St. Petersburg in Russia. The main event is a heavyweight, Alistair Overeem versus Alexei Olenek. Is there anything that you can say about this fight to actually make somebody want to watch it? Uh, no. <laughs> this is a snooze fest for sure. Um... Even if Alistair knocks him out, nobody cares. And even if Alexei Olenek gets him with that famous Ezekiel choke. Or no the Olenek can... choke now. Yeah, the, that, that's famed as the Olenek choke. But uh, this is just a, a shitty main event on a shitty card. No disrespect to the fighters, but they didn't really put much thought into this um card. And uh, it kind of sucks because there's a lot of incredible Russian fighters that definitely... Could have been on this card. Well, your boy's on this card, which is Islam Makachev. Ugh. He's in the co-main event. Who's he fighting? Some nobody. <laughs> he has no picture. His name is Armand Sarurian. So, Sarurian? a nobody versus a nobody. Nice. 
Oh, you don't like Islam Makachev? I hate Islam Makachev. <laughs> we spoke about this when the Kevin Lee rumors were happening. Yeah. Also, your girl, Roxanne Mataferi, is on this card versus Antonia Shevchenko. Oh. This is actually That's an interesting fight. Uh, a really important fight because it is the first female MMA fight in Russia. Wow. Yeah, so... Uh, That's incredible. Yeah, Valentina was on... The MMA, you know, show, or Ariel's MMA show today, or this week post, you know, talking about it, pushing it. Yeah, I think that's amazing. Um, you know, her sisters, she's the real deal, and um, wow, she has a tough test ahead of her, because Roxanne is no slouch. I mean, her striking is, I would say, a solid B minus, but her grappling is up there with some of the best. And, um, you know, the fact that she took Nico Montano five rounds is crazy, so this is going to be a good fight. Yeah, I'll be watching that for the sake of this show, but that is it. <laughs> yeah, I get that. <laughs> Andre, let's get into the UFC 236 review. What a card it was, Andre. Ooh. Let's start right at the top and then work our way up, if that makes any sense. <laughs> the main event, Dustin Poirier over Max Holloway by unanimous decision. Andre, did you score this a unanimous decision? Yes. I I thought that the first round was definitely a 10-8 round. Um, and for sure, you know, Dustin won um, the second. And I gave that a 10-9. Now, the third and fourth rounds, Max was really putting it on him. And it was, for, for me, it was 2-2. But that fifth round, Dustin, Dustin did what he had to do. Um, I just think that it was crazy because we saw how much Max Holloway's ground game improved and his wrestling. Because the fact that he was not taken down in that fight successfully was incredible. But um, you know, I had it. I had a three-two. Yeah, and I, it was good. But you know, I I had it forty-nine forty-six. Myself, because of that first round being a 10-8 round, and then Max winning the third and fourth. Um, but overall, both guys really brought it. Um, I think that, and, and I'm going to say this now, and a lot of people might not agree, but I'm going to be that one guy to say that I don't really think that Max should be fighting at 155. Because aside from Dustin, there's a lot of other guys who are really strong. And let's say, for example, uh, Max Holloway versus Justin Gaethje. I'm, I'm, I can most certainly say that Max will end up being in the same physical state that he was against Dustin Poirier because of the difference in power. I give all respect to Max because he's one of the best, but stay at 145 because of the fact that you don't hit hard at 155. And, and you know, not everybody's a Rafael Dos Anjos where he can just put it on you. It doesn't matter if it hits hard. Max is not like that. His strikes are different. You know, he's a pitter-patter kind of striker, and that didn't work on Dustin at all. Like, even when he was catching him with flurries, not once was Dustin hurt. So, you know, what happens if he fights a Khabib? What happens if he fights Connor again? I, I just don't know if that's a good idea for him. Yeah, so initially, mind you, I watched the the last two fights of this card, you know, two two times for this fight. And the fight that we'll get to next, I watched three times. <laughs> just because I thought they were that good. 
But initially, I had it at a split decision for Dustin. I think one of the rounds was, like, too close to call. Um, you know, Max did hurt Dustin at one point. He had him in, like, some danger. Uh, it was a shame that he couldn't capitalize because he probably could have eat that a 10-8 in that round. But, uh, you know, after watching it again, I think it was very definitive at 3-2. No questions asked. And I uh, like you, that first round was definitely a 10-8. So, uh, but the fight was amazing. I think Dustin, you know, he throws really hard. I think there's there's ways that he could have won that fight better than he did, which is crazy to think because I thought he did great. But I don't know if that's just because Max is so good. Yeah. <laughs> because Dustin's striking was okay. Like, he was throwing really hard, but I don't think he was that calculated. Yeah, and part of the reason why it wasn't as calculated as, as it, you know, like, let's say when he fought Eddie Alvarez and how his countering, his counter striking was just on another level. A level that I had not seen. Because if you look at how good of a boxer Eddie Alvarez is. For him to get pieced up like that against Dustin, that that caught me off guard. And um, I just think the approach that Dustin took was trying to hurt Max, trying to really break him down, and then go for the finish. When it didn't happen, you could clearly see that Dustin was like, all right, I got to take my time and I have to catch a little bit of wind because this guy's not going away. Um, And I'm not even going to lie to you. I don't even know how the hell Max got out of that first round because I thought he was going to die in there. Like, with the way Dustin was hitting him and just how his face was just welting up, I was like, oh, God, no. And Dustin's a big dude. He was saying Max came in heavier. I guess it didn't matter. I don't think Max came in heavier. I don't know. I knew that we spoke about this last week, who was going to be heavier in the cage. Um, I think Dustin... Is having a hard time cutting to 55 now. He said it. And I think that if he can get past Khabib and defend the belt against Tony and possibly Connor, uh, which will be mega fights. Uh, for me to say that, yeah, that those are mega fights. I think he can campaign for a 165 title against either Kevin Lee or possibly um, Ben Askren because that will be another incredible fight. I mean, Dustin right now is in the driver's seat. Sky's the limit for the guy. Yeah, what? for these... Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. So for these two, like, what do you see next? Because it's obvious that Max has to go back down to defend his title. Yeah. For me, it's Frankie Edgar. Yeah, for sure. He has to get... Like, Frankie Edgar's, like, gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. Like, he has to get past Frankie Edgar to be, like, the greatest featherweight of all time. He's the last guy. He beat Brian. He beat Jose twice. He's got, he's got, because the, the last guy he has to face is Volkanovski. Yeah, but Volkanovski still needs some, you know, grooming. If if Volkanovski beats Jose, it has to, you know, be him next. But I think fighting Frankie first would be like the perfect thing. Absolutely, and um, I just want to give much respect to Jose for a quick turnaround. I don't think a lot of people have been discussing that, but this guy's been taking really dangerous fights, and he's been winning. I think he has no choice. Yeah, I mean, think about it. Before he fought Jeremy Stevens, he was about to retire, considering a career in boxing. 
And he still is, but he's been looking incredible. He's been looking like the Jose Aldo of old, almost. And, you know, um, he's got a tough test against Volkanovski, but not only did he destroy Jeremy Stevens, but he destroyed Hanato Moicano, which was the one guy that I had said myself that might have been the toughest test for Max Holloway because of his ground game. But um, Frankie's got to be next. Frankie's the one guy that I can... And, and mind you, I always say, if you feel like you deserve a title fight, then you probably haven't done enough. And Frankie's done more than enough. He's dominated some of the best dudes in that division. So I'm, I just want to see that fight mainly because I feel that Max owes it to Frankie at this point. Yeah, and it's clear for Dustin what's next. You know, in September, it's Khabib in Abu Dhabi. Now, they've said that, but is there any way, barring injury, like, let's just take injury out the window, is there any way that that fight doesn't happen? That that's not Khabib's next fight? Khabib? Dustin. Is there any way that that's not his next fight? I think it'd be foolish, I mean, if he doesn't take that fight. I mean, he said it, see you in September. But I really hope, I don't see that, I don't see an issue with that fight. Because the last few fights, Khabib's come in on weight, and he hasn't really had an issue. And even at the weigh-ins, he's looked pretty decent. He hasn't looked too drawn out. And Dustin, he looked pretty solid in this weigh-in as well. But um, I'm just going to be real with you, man. I just hope this fight happens because this will be, in my opinion, aside from the Khabib Connor debacle, this will be one of the biggest fights in lightweight history. Because at this point in Dustin's career, I think he's got the formula. And um, it, that's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy for um, Khabib to take Dustin down. I've seen guys try. And the dude has a serious black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He can, he can submit anybody at that weight. And um, even guys like, you know, like you see guys like Ali Quinta, right, who are tough. Want to get five rounds with Khabib. But it's different with Dustin because Dustin literally has all the tools. You know, because what Ally Quinta lacks, Dustin doesn't. And, I, and I'm going to say, aside from Mighty Mouse, I want to say Dustin's one of the most complete MMA fighters around right now. Just with his ability to mix up strikes, his wrestling, his high-level jiu-jitsu, his cardio. Because who the hell can keep up the same pace with Max for five rounds? You know what I mean? And still do damage. I mean, it, it's it's a lot to take in because in September we might be looking at probably the greatest fight in lightweight history. So, I'm sorry, I'm ranting, but it's going to be amazing. No, it's okay. That Yeah, that fight... I'm just nervous, like, because you know how the UFC is. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, Connor can slide in either way, you know, if he threatens Dana enough. You know, you still got Nate Diaz around. You still have Tony Ferguson. God knows what he's going to do. Ooh, I'd love to see that. Tony Ferguson versus Nate Diaz. <sighs> Don't ooh don't don't do that to me, okay? Because fantasy warfare. I, I can I can break that down right now. <laughs> It'll take six <laughs> hours. But you know, and and that's the beauty of the lightweight division. That's why it's the best division in the UFC. There's so much variety, so many contenders. A top fifteen is not good enough. 
I think they need to just make a top five of the best of the best and just leave everybody else Everybody out. else, yeah. So you talk about the best. You're telling me that the lightweights are the best. You know, you're saying best, best, best. Let me tell you about the best UFC fight maybe I've ever seen. Israel Adesanya versus Calvin Gaslam. Oh my God, Andre! I would have never thought. I knew this was going to be a good fight. I I had no idea it was going to be maybe the best fight I've ever seen. I, I try to tell you, man. So Calvin Gaslam comes out looking like money. You know he he stuns Israel twice in the fight mm-hmm. and has him in big trouble. Big trouble. And stays in the game the whole fight till yeah. that fifth round. Yeah. Stylebender, on the other hand, entered God mode. Yeah, he, <laughs> like you said, he faced adversity, you know, and he, he's my favorite striker in the UFC now. Like I've never seen somebody move like that. You know, the last couple fights I've watched from him have just been amazing. You know, the Anderson Silva fight. You know, we talked about how, like, you know, it wasn't that exciting. It was just like, you know, people were. Hyping it up for nothing. <laughs> but this fight, if somebody says they didn't like this fight, they are no longer allowed to watch MMA. Andre, go ahead. <laughs> oh, man. Do we got enough time? <laughs> Plenty. Listen, this fight, it went how I expected it to, and it also went how I didn't expect it to. And let me explain that because I know it doesn't make sense. I expected Kelvin to come out with the, you know, obvious game plan, which is touch Israel's chin enough to the point where he fades. Simple as that. He went to the body as well. I love that game plan. I think that Kelvin fought a very, very smart fight up until the fifth round. And and look, I'm going to give him as much credit as possible because he fought a guy... And let's just be real, who was seven inches taller than him and who had a nine-inch reach advantage on him, okay? That's a lot to deal with. If you think about, let's say, me, I'm 5'9 right now with a 69-inch reach, and I have to fight a dude who's 6'5 with an 82-inch reach like John Jones, chances are I die. <laughs> and then you add the striking arsenal of an Israel Adesanya, and then I die in 15 seconds. But Kelvin's footwork, his head movement, and his ability to get on the inside and avoid danger, it it got me thinking, like, if he fights Robert Whitaker like that, imagine the damage that he'll do to him. And, and And I have to say, I think Kelvin's one of the most elite middleweights right now. But it's like I said before, Israel's the modern day Naruto, man. This dude has the type of perseverance that you only see in movies. That fifth round was incredible. And and I was up on my feet. The fight was incredible. The fight in general was one of the best fights ever, but it was that fifth round, bro. That's round of the year. There's nothing else. That's fight of the year. Fight of the year, round of the year, title fight of the year, whatever. Every Every title that it can possibly get, it's going to get. Because that fifth round, we saw something in Israel that we haven't seen. He was under fire. Face swollen. He'd been touched. He got cracked with a head kick he didn't see. 
he looked like Hitch. Remember Hitch when he uh, yeah. when he ate what was it? He, he he ate something he was allergic to shellfish, and his yeah. face just blew up. That's what Israel Adesanya looked like. It was peanuts, I think. Or peanuts, something. yeah. And, and and that's literally that's what he looked like. And the crazy thing is that at some point you see his face and you're like, nah, he's gonna go down eventually. And mind you, the first three rounds, that's all I was thinking. I'm like, Kelvin's gonna touch him, and Israel's gonna go down hard. And I don't know if he's going to be able to get up because, look, with respect, Kelvin may not be the best striker around, but he's got that one-punch knockout power. But Israel didn't care. He w- he knew it. And the fifth round, he's like, I'm not going down. I'm not going down. I'm not losing this fight. I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to shake this shit up, and I'm going to whoop this guy. And I was so proud of him because that last round, look at Kelvin's face in the last two minutes. What Israel did to that poor boy. <laughs> he beat the mess out of him. I don't think there was anything that Kelvin could have did in that fifth round to beat Adesanya the way that he came out. If you just look... Alright, let me put it this way. If you take that fifth round, right? That fifth round Adesanya, and you paste it with any other fighter, they lose in the middleweight division. Yoel. Robert, Paulo Costa, Jacare, Chris Weidman, Luke Rockhold. You can't beat him. Because in that area, on top of his striking, his jiu-jitsu was, was finally shown. Kelvin's, in high, Kelvin's a high-level grappler. And let's not forget that Kelvin is a black belt in 10 Planet Jiu-Jitsu. That's not easy to get under Eddie Bravo. You got to work for that. It took freaking Joe Rogan almost 12 years to get that black belt. So for for... For a guy like Kelvin to, to be able to be that high level of a grappler, it shows how good he is. But Israel didn't care. He locked in that triangle. The technique was solid. He held the wrist to make sure he didn't have to grab his ankle. Really? He just locked it in. He held the leg to ensure that Kelvin couldn't dump him or at least, you know, switch off to, to poke his head out. He did everything right. And the best part about this fight was that both guys did everything right. And that fifth round... Just came down to who wanted it more. Same thing as Dustin Poirier versus Max Holloway. That's why this was one of the best cards right now this year. Because you had two guys, Dustin and Israel, that said to themselves, forget this. I want this more. I'm willing to go in there and do whatever I got to do. That's all I got to say. <laughs> it was really like a movie. Like If you go into that fifth round and when the, you know, the ref goes, are you ready, are you ready? If you look at... like. Israel's saying something to himself. Yeah. Like, and then Kelvin, he has that thing where he just swings. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't know. Like, I get goosebumps just thinking about it. Like, the, the fight was incredible. <laughs> like, I'm sorry that we didn't get to watch it together, but it actually worked out. Yeah, it did. Um, I I just enjoyed... You watched uh, it yourself, right? Like oh by yeah, yourself. Yeah, I did. Um, my dad was sitting next to me during the third and fourth round, um, and he left the fifth. I was like, I don't know why he left, but he, even he, he was just like, damn, like this dude is, this dude is killing him. And I just wanted to explain everything to him, but I didn't have enough time. How was crazy so was it that Kelvin stunned Israel with a head kick? It's one of those techniques you don't see coming. It was like Masvidal's left hook, that that switch left hook on Darren Till. Darren didn't know that was coming. He was stuck. He was like, he went for the clinch. And Darren Till's a high-level striker. 
But that happens sometimes, you know. It was just like, um, God, what's the perfect example that I can give you? Oh, that overhand right um, from Khabib against Connor. Connor didn't see that coming. He didn't move. He didn't usually do what he does, which is, you know, the either the slip back or the shoulder roll. He just got hit. It was just one of those flash shots. But, you know, that could have put Israel out, and he was still, like, there. He was like, nah, I'm cool. I'm not going down. So, you definitely scored it unanimous for Israel. Yeah. That, yeah, that fifth round was like a 10-8 to me, so that sealed it. Yeah, I mean, look, Israel was doing well with his jab, with the straight right, and with the leg kicks. Um, he didn't really have to land head kicks in this fight. Because um, Kelvin's hands were down, but that was mainly because he was trying to bait him in. And, you know, Israel knew, okay, if I throw a head kick, he's most likely going to block, catch, and then take down. He was trying to avoid that as much as possible. He did get taken down at one point, but he got right back up. Kelvin's a a high-level wrestler, but Israel, he just uses his body to, to have the advantage of being able to get up. And, you know, people don't think that's a real thing, but it is. Because if you are a much bigger guy, like as far as height and your leg length, you're able to get up a lot easier than most other guys. Because it takes more work for Kelvin to put the pressure on Israel and really put his weight on him because he's not as big as him. I just think he did an excellent job. Um, Israel, of course. I, I think he did an excellent job of preparing for this fight. Yeah, this is definitely a notebook fight. We will be talking about this at the end of the year. Oh, yeah. Andre, what's next for Kelvin Gaslam? Obviously, Israel is going to face Robert Whitaker yeah. later on this year. What is next? What would you do with Kelvin Gaslam? Because after a performance like that, you don't want to see him shoot down. You want to see him continue to you know stay in that mix. The only f- when I really when I, I started really looking into it today um, of the aftermath because I wanted to see what was going on and and of course you know there was a lot of stuff going on um, with Israel and John Jones so it got me. We thinking. will get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. No, I I don't want to talk about that now. But you know that was just um, an example of of showing kind of like the aftermath of everything and you know what fighter is gonna fight who you know where they're gonna go in their careers. And um, the only fight that makes sense to me right now is Kelvin versus Paulo Costa. And um, and that's because Yoel Romero is having a lot of health issues. It sucks. Um, I know that Yoel should get the winner of Jacare versus Jack Hermanson. Um, I don't think a fight between Yoel and Paulo is going to end up, you know, coming to fruition. And it sucks because that was a dynamite fight that I think everybody would have been behind but um a fight between kelvin and paulo would be great because paulo's at that level right now um and i would love to see paulo versus israel or robert whitaker um if he can get past kelvin because if kelvin knocks paulo costa out i mean he gets a title shot again in my opinion because i still see him as on the number one contender so um yeah I, i think that's the only fight that makes sense right now what is your beef with paulo costa um, because you weren't too happy when he came at Israel. Yeah, the the reason why is because, and look, everybody's going to have their opinion on Israel because they're like, okay, he's just another striker with no ground game. Is he really, though? <laughs> is I thought he his, really? his scramble was great. 
like you said, he locked in that submission. If they weren't, like Joe Rogan said, I completely agreed. If they weren't slippery, Kelvin would have had to go out. Yeah, he would have because, all right, and, and I'm going to get real nerdy here. When you lock in a triangle and you have that that angle, the inside angle, right? Because what they tell you, a lot of guys will lock in the triangle, right? They'll scoot the leg up in between that, that little crook of your knee, and then they'll just try to lock it in. So then they think the pressure is coming from grabbing the head and pulling down, and that's completely wrong. You're cutting off the blood flow of both um, jugular arteries with one crook of the knee and the other crook of the knee. Well, with the person's shoulder, excuse me. And um, when Israel locked it in, he also had the angle, and he also grabbed the leg and still had the arm, and that bad boy was tight. And if and it's like Joe Rogan said, if that was not the case of them just being super slippery, we would have saw Kelvin go to sleep completely without you know Israel having to lock in the head or squeeze the knees with his arms like he had it tight. And um, I just thought that was incredible because now we're seeing that his ground game is there and he still believes that there's work to be done. And there is. Imagine Israel in two years. Imagine when his when he finally gets that full MMA body, when he's strong, where he can wrestle, where he can take guys down. He's going to be the best in the world. And, and his striking is only getting better over time. So you went off on Paulo Costa. You also went off on John Bones Jones. What is your beef with John Jones? He's picking fights with guys that he that he knows. All right. Let me let me rephrase my my statement. John Jones is picking fights with the kind of guys that really don't pose much of a threat to him. So, I agree with Israel. He's being a bully because okay, he's back on the the heap of the mountain where he's defended his belt against Anthony Smith. Congratulations, you fought a guy who was afraid of you the entire time. Who didn't want to throw a punch because he was too afraid of you making him um, eat his own words. He was too afraid to get hit back. And when he got taken down, he would just wither away and just not want to get hit, not want to take damage. I mean, come on, man. Let's see you fight somebody with real skill. But I respect Israel and what he said because he's like, look, I'm not ready for him. And and imagine if a guy like Alexander Hernandez versus Donald Cerrone. Imagine he would have been like that. I'm not ready to fight a guy like Donald Cerrone. I'm not ready for him yet. My Everybody would expect, respect him. Yeah, because you have to know where your strengths and weaknesses are. Right now, we see a 205 um, super fight. Uh, you know, let's say Israel beats Robert, right? And he goes up to fight John Jones in a super fight for the 205 belt. I'll tell you three things that are going to happen. Number one. Israel's body is going to be nice and soft. What does that mean for John Jones? Body kicks. And we saw what he did against Fedor Belfort, who was on TRT, and he dropped him with a body kick, a side kick at that. So imagine what he's going to do when he starts beating away at Israel's body. Number two, Israel's going to go in there tentative because he doesn't want to be in any type of clinching exchange or wrestling exchange with John Jones. Henceforth, he ends up like another Anthony Smith. Scared, running away. He lands a couple good strikes. John takes him down. Ends the fight via submission. Who's going to want to see that fight? Nobody. Two years from now, Israel fills out on his frame. 
His wrestling is more polished. His takedown defense is probably at a 95% right now. He goes in with better jujitsu, and, and and aside from that, a better clinch and cage work game. He goes in and gives John Jones the toughest fight of his life. That's how that fight goes in two years, and that and that's after you know, hypothetically speaking, he gets through Robert, through Jacare, through Yoel, through Paulo Costa, maybe Kelvin Gastelum again, maybe even a Chris Weidman. Five guys he destroys. And through all every all of those five fights, he gets better. But the interesting thing about a fight like that is that that's five fights for John Jones to get better too. So we have to end up just going on the fact that these two guys are going to be at the upper echelon of the sport, and we have to see which one has approved more. But that's my take on it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, for me, it's like, come on, John, like, Israel came into the cage at like 183. Literally. So why he's punching down. All that to say that on the behalf of the Your Boy Elroy podcast, we all know that John Jones, you're scared of Johnny Walker. Who wouldn't be? Because he's clearly looking past Johnny Walker and all the rest of the 205 division. Yeah, and the idea... That John Jones might have of a Johnny Walker will be, you know, he's not on my level. Okay. We'll see. <laughs> because Johnny Walker is going to walk in there. He's going to walk you down. And you're going to be on your back foot the entire time. Because in every single fight that I've watched of Johnny Walker, he's never taken a back step. He is ferocious, relentless, and unafraid of anything that could possibly happen. He's been knocked out before because of that. But now he's more polished, and that clinch game, man. John Jones, don't get in that clinch with Johnny Walker. He'll ruin your career. So before we get into listener questions, I do want to pay attention to another person who had a beautiful performance on Saturday, and that was Khalil Roundtree. Thank you for bringing that up. What a performance that was. He might have had... Two out of the three rounds might have been 10-7. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I scored a 10-7. And um, that's what happens when you face Johnny Walker. <laughs> he knocks some sense into him. But Jesus, man. It was like overnight sensation. Like, what the hell happened to Khalil Roundtree? He came in against Johnny Walker. Tentative. He wasn't able to land shots. Got knocked out with elbows. Comes into this fight against an arguably a tough guy in, in either middleweight or light heavyweight and dispatched him. My only concern was why the hell didn't you finish him on the ground? Eric Anders, tough as hell. Yeah, man. And he was not going to quit. And I give him so much respect. That should get him another high profile fight at light heavyweight. But damn, man. God bless whoever has to fight Khalil Roundtree next because his combinations... The power that he was throwing with every technique, that inside leg kick, the speed, man, and the accuracy. Yeah, it Most guys, disgusting. Yeah, and the worst thing is that it was. I know what that feels like. It sucks because it's one thing to get hit here, right? This is all bone. So this is right here. When you get kicked here a couple times, it's just bruising. Here, it's all fat and tissue, bro. That hurts. That's, that's severe trauma. That's where... That's where blood clots and hematomas come from. 
And Khalil Roundtree was giving that to, to Eric Anders. And and I got to say, man, I wouldn't mind seeing him fight Johnny Walker again. Or, you know, maybe two three fights down the line, he knocks a couple guys out. I wouldn't mind seeing him up against Dominic Reyes. And, and, I, and I think that with what we saw, I think that he definitely earned his opportunity to fight another high-profile type fighter in the light heavyweight division. Yeah, give him Vulcan Ozdemir. Yeah, I mean... That's another fight that would be interesting. I mean, Vulcan unfortunately lost his fight against Dominic. I thought it was crazy, but um, you know, let's just see what happens. Yeah, Andre, that was. I just had to pay attention to him because because that performance was amazing. Let's get into listener questions. We do have a question from our good buddy Ron Pashery, Jr. He says. Brennan Schaub voiced concerns over issues with the ESPN Plus pay-per-view and how technical issues and being behind two paywalls will hurt the fighters and the sport. He specifically said that he hated that a lot of the eyes that should have Adesanya and Gaslam probably weren't there. Do you have any concern that this will cause an end to the growth period of UFC? He goes on to add that he does that's exactly how he feels what Brendan Schaub says yeah um when I alright I'm gonna put it this way it's a new it's a new way to sell fights specifically pay-per-views and when you look at how much money has been poured into the UFC by ESPN and how much trust they put in them re-signing for another two extra years the UFC has to take risks like this in order to build the brand to show ESPN that, you know, it was worth the money. But, you know, in this case, I'm going to say that it's going to take some time, but I feel like they'll get it right. Um, do I think it will affect the fighters first off? Yes. But I don't think that it's permanent. And um, I do agree with one aspect. I do think that it will potentially stop the growth of the UFC, but I think that they'll have to do something about that. They'll have to make another move. And um, I'm going to say right here, right now, I think they need to cut ties with Reebok and go back to the sponsorships. And I think that's one thing that will propel them up to the top of the heap again. Because right now, one FC is closing in on them, and they're getting closer and closer and closer Every time they fight in each pay-per-view, in each fight night, whatever they have over there, they're bringing some of the best um, cards in the world right now, mixing Muay Thai and kickboxing Muay Thai with gloves. They're mixing MMA, even grappling matches. I mean, they're bringing so much to the table. And I think one of the only ways to really get the best fighters in the world in the UFC is if they bring back the sponsorships. Because guys are going to want to fight if they know they're fighting on the biggest stage of the grand, of the grand of them all. And then they're getting paid like they are. How could you not want to fight for the UFC then? So I will say that give the ESPN Plus app some time and hopefully it works itself out. Yeah, we, we've spoken about this a lot since they've moved to ESPN. My thought remains the same. Um, there's no way that people are going to continue to pay 
$60 for a pay-per-view when there's, you know, HBO to go is 10 bucks. You know, you can watch Game of Thrones for 10 bucks a month. You can watch WWE, all the pay-per-views, you know, 10 bucks a month. And their library, you know, you have Fight Pass, which continues to probably play, like, Legacy FC cards and Titan FC and Invicta and stuff like that for 10 bucks a month. Yeah. Why are you still expecting people to pay $60? Yeah. I mean, they have such a huge and, and profitable platform that they don't need to charge anybody $60. They need to be charging at least 30 okay? And the reason why is because that's going to push a lot of fans away. I know that to be true because I was even reluctant on paying for it. I was like, hell no, 60 bucks. And then I'm paying five, du- five, excuse me, five bucks extra. That's insanity, you know. Because even if you had to put the price on on ESPN Plus app up, put it up, and take away the pay per view, because nobody wants to pay that. And eventually, that's going to come back to bite them unless they do something about it. So you know, Ron, I, I agree in certain aspects, but I just want to give the UFC a chance because hopefully they get it right. That's what I'm banking on. Yeah, we will see. Like Dana White said that they do have opportunities to, you know, give discounts on certain shows. They tried to sweeten the pot by giving you ESPN Plus for the rest of the year for like 20 bucks. Yeah. And then charging you just for the one pay-per-view, which is still dumb because, you know, four months, you basically get two months for free. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but I thought it was weird when I was looking at that. I'm like, what the hell is this? This Yeah, he tried to finesse like a cool deal. And then some people thought like, oh, I pay 80 bucks this one time and I get everything for the rest of the year. And it's like, no, you got to really listen to this dude. Like he's saying that you pay 80 bucks, you get ESPN plus the whole year and then one pay-per-view. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's it, it wasn't a smart deal for them. And um, I thought it was just a stupid way to go for your first actual pay-per-view. I feel like that should have been discounted because this was one of the biggest pay-per-views of this year. Thank you so much, guys, for listening to this week's episode of Your Boy Elroy. Obviously, there's a change in the audio. I am recording this post-show uh, something was wrong with the audio at the end, but my name is Josh Prepigina. You can follow me at Elroy Prepson across all forms of social media. Andre Rodriguez is my co-host. He is the analyst. He is a genius when it comes to MMA. You can follow him at Flow State Dre on Instagram and Twitter, and you can look him up on Facebook at Andre Rodriguez. Keep those five-star ratings and reviews coming in. Share the show to your friends. Enjoy the fights, and we'll see you next week.